Hey guys, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at sidebarforever.com as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. Yes, it's here and we have seen it. Released in the U.S. on October 22nd and available for streaming right now on HBO Max, the Neve Villeneuve's Doom has finally arrived. The, the spice, spice must flow. On the pod, Dwight, Swain, and myself do a quick and dirty review of the film. And of course, we compare notes with Frank Herbert's seminal 1965 novel and David Lynch's 1984 film adaptation. I'm Adrian Johnson, and remember, dreams make good stories, but everything important happens when we're awake. And the three of us are wide awake for Denis Villeneuve's spectacular film adaptation of Doom. Adrian, why don't you go first, man, since you're, uh, uh, you're kind of in between the two of us in terms of your uh, affinity for this material. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you jump it off? Okay. All right. Well, 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 full, full disclosure for everyone out there. Um, I just started watching it last night and um, I was attempting to finish it um, before, you know, we recorded today and I was not aware how long it was, but it's good though. It's good. (laughs) It's good though. It's good though. Um, For me, I was familiar with Dune, obviously, because of the book. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I've never read the book, but so many of my friends in my circle had. And then the next instance would be like, you know, 1984 with uh, David Lynch's adaptation of Dune, you know, which I grew up with, as always, D, WGNX, Channel 46. (laughs) 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 Because it was a a two-part two-night event whenever they showed it on Channel 46 for whatever reason. So I grew right. up with that version with, you know, Cal McLaughlin and the Spice and the Blue Eyes and Sean Young right. and the Black Suits and all that, right? And Jerry right, Proctor right. and all that. Patrick Stewart. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next instance, obviously, would be uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, uh, the movie that, uh, right. the documentary that um, Dwight and I saw together when it came out, you know? Exactly. And it was just like, wow. Oh, man, if he had actually done something with this, you know, what he intended, this would have been incredible. But the mm-hmm. lineage of what he did is shown throughout many, many, many sci-fi movies in its wake. You know what I'm saying? For sure. For sure. Which brings us to this recent adaptation of Dune, you know. Mm-hmm. And all of that is to say that, man, this, th- this, this movie is just, it's, Oh, it's, yeah, I hate to be cliche, but it's visually stunning. It really yeah. is. It's like, yeah. mm-hmm. wow, it stepped straight out of a metal, metal herlant, heavy metal page. <laughs> and not yeah. only that, man, you can see like the influence of like certain um, European uh, comic creators like um, Bilal and um, Inky Bilal. And even yeah. get this, you can even see some Travis Charest in there, believe it or not. No. Okay. I absolutely thought that when I was okay. watching. It. Yeah, you see the part like when they when they arrive on Arrakis, right, and they're wearing that that plated armor and everything. 
That is exactly. Right. That's from Meta yeah. Barons. That's from Meta Dream Barons. Shifters, it is. It is. dog. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. snaps. Wow. This is this is crazy. Right. And just, man, it's so the the, the 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 visual design as well as the little things that they put in there too just really make it it's the ultimate in world building. It's one of the best examples of world building that I've seen in a very, very, very long time. And I could see somebody going to see this movie and coming out and saying, you know what? I actually need to go see this again, not necessarily because of the uh, richness of the plot, but also because of how much is in there. Like, I could see this taking two or three viewings to fully appreciate the world building that they're doing in here, man. So... Yeah, and, and with world building, and I know Dwight, that's one of your big things, man. So what, what did you think of it? What did you think of the movie, man? Man, uh, everything you just said, man, it was massive. Uh, the vistas were, were, were gleaming and shining. Mm. Uh, it's epic. I mean, I, I made the mistake. Of course, I'm a hungry, um, you know, hungry for, for, for completion and hungry yeah. for always wanting to see things develop and things like that, right? So... I couldn't wait for the first. I couldn't wait to see the movie theater. I, I had to watch it on W on the on the uh, on the HBO platform, HBO Max platform. Mm-hmm. And the first time I saw it, I watched it all the way through. And I was while, while I was I was I was I liked how Villeneuve took the story. Uh, I was I was missing something, and, the, and what was missing was the the, the epic size the size of the screen mm. and the audio comp- and the audio component, which I didn't realize I was such an audiophile in regards to. How much audio provokes emotion in me, evokes emotion in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So to to see that in concert with with on the, the big screen and see the small nuances in the figures, like there's a scene on one of the vistas where there's people that look like they might be the Fremen on a plateau, looking overlooking the the keep that the the uh, the, the Atreides are going to be inhabiting that were left there by the Harkonnens. And you can't really see that on the small screen, but when you see it on the big screen, it's like, oh, that makes more sense now. Mm. Since the Fremen are ever the Fremen are ever present, you know they're always there. You know, and they, they're, they're mm-hmm. numbers are, the numbers are not truly known by the Harkonnens, or the Harkonnens, how they want to call them in this particular in this particular adaptation. And mm-hmm. to, it's just a it was a magnificent uh, um, um, experience. Um, Hans Zimmer adds so much more to it than what we than what we're capable of of, of picking up on. Yeah, no, Hans Zimmer uh, did the music. Yeah, Hans, oh, Hans Zimmer did the music. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, Hans Zimmer did the, the music. Mm-hmm. All right, and. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And um, everything you just said, man. I'm, I, you know, I, I didn't pick up on the, on the Travis Charest influences with not like a, the arm, the armor they had on. Definitely from from Dream Shifters. Definitely from Meta Barons. Um, and there's just a new. I mean, I mean, for Herbert to start this off so long ago, back in the '60s, yeah, or '70s, for it to be a thing which was was utilized in in various platforms and various um, 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 uh, media choices. It's incredible. I mean, it's just, it just it, everything, like you just said, it reverberates throughout the entire industry in various forms and various genres. So, yeah, um, I was very impressed by it. I think uh, Chalamet did a, a spot-on performance for Paul Atreides. Uh, I think Zendaya did a great do- great job for limited time. She was in this particular, you know, first part of the, of the, of the movie. Yeah. It's just shiny. Um, I, 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 I was able not to watch... Oscar Isaacs as as Oscar Isaacs and see him for for uh, Duke Leto Atreides. So I was really surprised by that because you know he's one of those guys. that's like I take over the scene. I crunch up stuff. So I I, yeah. I crunch the scenery. You know he didn't. He 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 subdued himself. Even Jason Momoa. I mean Jason, even Jason wasn't like oh he hey was dude. Awesome. You know, uh, 
He was like, he was fall staff, yo. I'm the surfer dude, yo. Yeah. 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 So, so, so those guys that did an epic, a great job, man. And I, and I'll actually, um, I'm going to turn over to Manti and Swiss, but actually, I liked, I like Rebecca Ferguson too, man, as, 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 uh, as the Ben and Jesuit mother, you know, um, she didn't, she didn't have the same kind of, I think I like her as much as I, as I like the actress from, from uh, Lynch's version, mm-hmm. but she actually did a great, she did actually did a great job of, of being kind of, kind of more a wicked, in a wicked way, like she was, she was, she was subdued, but then she was powerful, but then she was emotional, but then she got, she turned into a witch at one time, man, it was like, wow, whoa, mm-hmm. she went there, so I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. You Swizz? Um, my, my first really, probably my first real, uh, 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 I think my first attachment to Dune was through the comic series. Yeah. The Marvel Comics adaptation. Oh, that's Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cause I was a big Bill Sienkiewicz fan and, uh, you know, and his rendering of Sting, you know, and, uh. You know, and all of that, and yeah. I think that's that's where I first found out about it. And then I saw I never finished uh, Lynch's movie uh, hmm. that it, that the comic series was adapted from. I never finished it because it was just too, <laughs> ugh. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, never read never read uh, Herbert's novel, mm. um, but I'm aware of it, and mm. and I'm aware of it more so from uh, from its influence on Star Wars. Oh, you know, it precedes yeah. Star Wars by about by about a dozen years. Mm-hmm. So you can see all of those things. And oddly enough, my daughter, Skylar, she uh, she watched the movie on her fucking phone. Uh, <laughs> to, quote, to, to quote... Yes. <laughs> to quote David Lynch from right, that, uh, that famous video, oh, yeah. on your phone, on your fucking phone. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, but she really liked it, and uh, and she caught all of those things, you know. It's like, oh, okay. Mm. But um, but as far as uh, Villeneuve's uh, adaptation, I mean, I thought much of of what you guys did. I thought the visuals were just overall spectacular, mm. uh, just really like spectacular. And and I'm a fan of him anyway as a filmmaker. Mm. Uh, if you've never seen the movie Arrival, that's pretty terrific. Mm. Uh, and he's done some other things. Uh, that are definitely worth checking out. Arrival's probably the closest in terms of the subject matter uh, to something like this. Although, you know, the characters are, you know, earthlings and it's, you know, the story is more terrestrial, but mm-hmm. it is a, a science fiction story, but uh, just looked incredible. Um, I thought the casting felt good to me as a non-fan of mm-hmm. this material. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt natural um, no one seemed to be in a different movie. Everyone seemed to be in the movie that, that Villeneuve was trying to make. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I dug the diversity of the cast. I know that there were some changes made in terms of gender mm-hmm. and, uh, and racial makeup uh, mm-hmm. for, for Villeneuve's adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I dug all of that. That felt natural to me. Nothing felt forced. Um, and again, you know... Um, as a non-fan of Dune, as you know, as you know, the original book, um, I think they did an outstanding job of introducing the world, mm-hmm. um, world building, you know, letting us know who the players were, who was who, who was related to whom, uh, what the stakes were, why the spice was important, what the spice was to the Fremen versus what the spice was 
to the rest of the universe and how mm -hmm. valuable it was to the rest of the universe. Right. Uh, versus or, you know, and those who were, you know, who would go there to, to mine it like the Harkonnens yeah. did and now the uh, Atreides. And then, um, you know, and why those things mattered. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes with these large widescreen stories like this with, you know, a big ensemble and you've got to figure out who's who and what's what and, and why things are going on. Um, you can kind of get lost in some of that if mm -hmm. they don't tell you. And I thought, you know, it was all done through expository dialogue a for lot. sure. A lot, you know, yes. You know, a lot of expository dialogue. You know, uh, they almost brought in Dr. Leah Kynes just to kind of explain quite a few things once they got on uh, Arrakis. Right. Mm -hmm. right. You know, oh, this is what the suit is for, and this is what this is for, and this is what that is for, mm -hmm. and, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but she's in, she's in a sense explaining it to us as, as audience members. Right. Uh, as well as explaining it to the uh, the characters in the film. Right. But overall, overall, I liked it. And and I was really surprised, too, man, just in, in reading, you know, the uh, the reviews. You know, mm -hmm. the movie's doing really well, and they've already uh, greenlit a sequel for it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and from what I understand, the original uh, versions of the films that they sent out to critics ahead of time mm -hmm. right. did not have uh, Dune... Uh, book one or whatever it is, right? Uh, you know, it, it didn't one. have that. They added that after the fact, and apparently they were. Uh, apparently, Villeneuve was always in talks to do a sequel. It was just a matter of probably how well the movie was going to do its first weekend, and then probably, hey, look, you can only assume based on his comments in the public that he is stressing that for the sequel, it must be a theatrical release only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's got to be that. It's mm -hmm. got to be that. Mm -hmm. But um, but I was really surprised in reading about the uh, the fallout, not the fallout, but the uh, the reception of the film. Mm. Um, it's you know pretty universally, uh, you know, people are digging it. Right, they're talking about it. Folks from all walks of life, people who love this material, people who are vaguely familiar with this material, you know, people who are who, are lo who love uh, science fiction from you know from other things like Star Wars and Star Trek and mm -hmm. you know all the other shows that are on uh, on streaming. But mm -hmm. this seems to have a very kind of a Game of Thronesian appeal in the sense of, you know, everyone seems to love it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Everyone mm -hmm. is, is 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 throwing their arms around it. So I think mm -hmm. that's cool. Now, yeah. do you think? Now, do you think that that is like due to the fact of? Because I can see um, someone new to this material or someone who maybe is not familiar with Doom, but other sci-fi properties looking at, you know, this movie and saying. Or getting the feeling of, I've seen a lot of this before in terms of this element is from, say, Star Wars or uh, all this, um, you know, uh, political intrigue and stuff. This would be from a Game of Thrones or something like that, another type of property, you know, along those same lines. And I yeah. wonder if the appeal is because it's stuff that the audience has maybe seen elsewhere, but now it comes in this, like, package that's like, wow. All of this is actually in one movie, and it's very satisfying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. I think I think I think also the audience is hungry for that. You know, it's been a long time now. We've had a lot of sci-fi movies come out, of course, over the past decade or more, obviously. But it's been a while since, and myself not being a, a huge, huge fan of hard sci-fi. It's been a long time since I've had a science fiction movie really hit me like this, you know, from what I've seen, you know, where it's like, wow, I'm totally immersed. I'm not just looking 
back at it like, oh, look at the effects. Oh, look at that ship right there. Oh, look at that. It's like, no. The whole right. experience is so immersive. And I think yeah. that's what's getting across to people as well. I think you're right, Adrian. Um, and, and also, too, in terms of people um, people saying, oh, I've seen this before. So this is kind of like, obviously, this predates Star Wars. So you've got, like, the boy prince. You've got the kind of castle intrigue. You've got the betrayal. You've got the... Um, you know, the kind of, you know, we want to get, you know, we want to make all the money. So we're going to kind of come in here and, and oppress and slaughter the indigenous people and, and do whatever we have to do to get it. You know, read capitalism. We saw that kind of play out in Avatar and so forth. Mm -hmm. But this is obviously in a, in a in a big sci fi way. This is the first version of that, of those kinds of things, you know, going back to 1965. You know, granted, it's not exactly like a hero's journey with Paul because you know, you know what I'm saying? It, it is in the sense of introducing him as a figure, but, <laughs> right. but it's not, it's not Joseph Campbell at all. You right. know what no. I mean? No. So it's, right. it's almost like, it's almost like we talked about with the, uh, the buddy cop action movies where, you know, if you go back to something like 48 hours and you think, Oh, these tropes or whatever. No, these, these were the first times that they did that. Mm -hmm. And now we've got decades and decades and decades of it after of people just kind of biting on that same apple, but go ahead, D. Yeah, no, seriously, this, this is the progenitor, man. This, this is a, this is where it all comes from, and you can sell it. You can see it, and it sells itself because inside of inside of that that model, um, like as you were saying, people have yearned for some some real intellectual uh, science fiction, and that's mm. what this is. Um, a lot a lot of, a lot of times, one of the criticisms I heard is it goes too slow. It goes too slow. Where where to get to the fights? It's like, well, yeah, that's going to happen, but it's not about the fights. It's not about. It's not a war. It's it's a it's about um, uh, um, actually, honestly, it's about it's about the the, the motivation and the, the deprecation of, of of indigenous people. Is what it's about. It's very much about about uh, um, uh, culturalism and, and and how people adapt and change things. Um, and it's about uh, the power of 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 empire that corrupts absolutely and changes people and motivates them to do different things. You know, um, the Atreides. The Trades never heard a call that they won't answer. Well, yeah, maybe you should have not answered this one. But to do that, <laughs> and to do that in this interview, to do this in this situation is is death. I mean, the emperor does not play to the point that they don't even show who the emperor is, which is an awesome move by Villeneuve not to play that that classic trope of showing the bad guy lurking in the shadows. Eh, 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 you know, <laughs> you know, um, it, was, it was it was a great thing. Um, you know, versus the Lynch version. I mean, you know, honestly. But what Lynch did, I mean, I, I, I have a great appreciation of what, what he did um, because he managed to encapsulate it in such a way which was, which was somewhat entertaining in a, in a small, succinct manner. He kind of got it all mm -hmm. in there. I mean, yeah. there's, there's some horrible, there's, there's some horrible um, um, riffs that he did that were, were totally, like, not even what's inside the yeah. book or in this movie. Thank God yeah. for that. But, but there, were, there, were some, there were some things which he did, which he did was like, wow, okay. Yeah, I, I, can, I understand what you did in your, in your compressed time. For why you got it all in there the way that you did, um, but uh, by comparison, uh, compared to what did what Dennis would be allowed to do, it's um, another conversation. Um, it's going to be it's going to be uh, very very um, constructive and, and and delve more into the story as we as we see it go forth in the next movie. You know, going to back what you were just saying, um, the point that you and um, Swain made about 
you know, this um, empire uh, coming up against these um, indigenous people. I, I do have to say, though, another allegory that I did see in there, and it wasn't heavy-handed, but maybe it was just me, is when they get into the ornithoppers, right, and they have to travel, to traverse the, um, the surface that way, you know, they, they are not much different than Black Hawk helicopters swooping over Iraq or Afghanistan. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That was oh, yeah. like, sure. right there. I kept thinking that. I was like, and especially there was one shot that was very good where you see the ornithopter coming to the screen, right? And one swoops in front of it and you hear the It's like, yes, that's Black Hawk down. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the U.S. over Iraq. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly what yeah. that is, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so when I thought about it that way, it's like, ah, spice equals oil. Ah, the free men could be insurgents or could be just them fighting for their freedom to get these imperialists out of their country, off their world. So it goes deep, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and at the, and yeah. even at the time that Doom came out back in 65, think about it. The U.S. itself was being embroiled was, you know, finding itself ensconced in Vietnam also, you know, although mm -hmm. it wasn't for uh, a resource, it was more for like an ideology, supposedly, you know, it's still the same thing. You have this much bigger power looking to impose its will upon the supposedly smaller power, but still finding that it's being beaten back by the supposedly weaker power. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Right. And you extrapolate right. that to this science fiction story you know, the possibilities are abound, especially as we see, mm -hmm. you know, um, posited here, definitely. And, and, and it, makes you, it makes you wonder, is it, okay, is, was, was Herbert a visionary or just a good appreciator, understander of human nature? You know, because that, that seems to be always a constant thing which we're embroiled in as human beings. It's like, how much resources do we have? And, and, and is it our right to have these resources? And how do we go out getting these resources from other people? Just ask for them, or do we take them by force and, by, and, and, and assume that they're ours and it's our divine right to do so? Mm. You know? So that's, that's an interesting thing. Interesting. And I, I liked it. One of the things I liked was um, uh, a standout performance to me was Javier Bardem. Where he, where, where he mm -hmm. comes in for the first oh, time. Stilgar? Yeah, it's Stilgar. Yeah. <laughs> as, he, as, he, as he comes in and he spits, and, 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 and immediately Gurney Howard's like, wait, wait a minute, what? what? Why are you spitting? <laughs> You know, it seems like to me like, like Jason Momoa's character, yeah. you know, uh, should have said, you know, should have said um, from the very beginning, okay, there's a certain customs and, you know, <laughs> you know but he, he introduces it really quick before he gets, before he gets into some uh, crazy uh, battle and fight or right. whatnot. But, you know, he should have been forewarned that, you know, this is kind of one of the things you can expect from them when he came in. And he yeah. kind of runs. He kind of runs up on the table. So wait a minute. That's as far as you go, partner. Back up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> He's like, right. So yeah. I, I wanted I, to. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys. What did you all think about the cast overall? Because that's uh, that was to me. You know, directors will often say that casting movie is more than fifty percent of the battle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's getting mm -hmm. the right people to play the characters. Mm. And and Dwight and I had some conversations prior to the movie's release about some of the changes. You know, uh, Dr. Kynes, mm -hmm. you know, I think was a male figure in the book. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, probably quite a few were male figures in the book. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any of the characters were supposed to be, you know, black and brown people or Asian mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. uh, Middle Eastern specific, what have you. But I, I thought Timothy Chalamet uh, was really great as Paul. He seemed, mm -hmm. you know, like 
you know, a boy trying to become a man. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a complete resistance to his father saying, hey, you're the heir to the throne. You know, his father was very understanding. Mm -hmm. Hey, if this is not for you, you will not ever have disappointed me one day in your life. You know, he says something along those lines. Mm -hmm. That's a rough paraphrase. But um, and I didn't realize until the moment that it was made clear that Rebecca Ferguson as uh, Lady Jessica Mm -hmm. was a concubine. She was not married to Duke Mm -hmm. Leto. Mm-mm. She just bore a child yeah. by him. Say what? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And and, her, yeah. and, the, and the reason the reason being behind that man, is the reason behind being behind that is because he always, as as a as part of the fiefdom, as part as part of the the deal with with the uh, the, the Atreides and the, the greater empire, mm-hmm. they always want to keep those options open for to be married into the empire and therefore assume have an heir, which will eventually assume the to the, make- the, the main throne. To create a power base, I guess. Right, exactly for the houses. Yeah, oh, so that's wow. a really good point. Yeah, man. Yeah, so it, it was, that was that was weird to me as a ch- from a child's perspective in the eyes of, of of hearing it for the first time and and then seeing it on on the, on the big screen was like, okay, wait a minute, concubine. What about wife? And he does mention, I, I should have married you, Jessica. But I mean, it, and it hurts him that he didn't do that. But he did it with a purpose, with the idea of being married into the the grander, the bigger houses. Yeah, and, right. In the vernacular, it would have been she, baby mama. But go ahead. Right. 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 <laughs> and she was and she was down for it. You know, right. she yeah. was she was supportive of him in, in that, even though she probably did, you know, want to be his wife. But to Dwight's point earlier about Oscar Isaac as uh, as Leto, um, you you probably haven't seen him in an awful lot, but mm-hmm. he's very, very good mm-hmm. in, in almost everything I've seen him in. He carries mm-hmm. it very well. Mm-hmm. He's not always, you know, uh, so, you know, he's not always the character that we yeah, that we know from. Uh, from a, a you know, from the Star Wars universe, right. yeah, right. he's uh, he, he's much more subdued. And he's a really good actor, and I think he was great as a, in that in that part. I think Josh Brolin was good as Gurney, he was, or was was really uh, convincing as Gurney. Yeah, right. Um, not hard because he seems kind of like a gruff kind of a mm-hmm. you know he'd be like a gruff older brother or a right. gruff mentor figure. Yeah, fanatic even. Um, fanatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for him to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and even though I didn't love the kind of uh, m- the visual effects and the prosthetics on Stellan Skarsgård, his voice is just fantastic as the Baron. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, go ahead, Adrian. About the Baron, I had a thought about him. You know who he reminded me of? Do you remember in Apocalypse Now when um, Martin Sheen finally meets Marlon Brando? Yes. And right. he's yes. doing the whole thing with a bald head. He's just wiping over. Yes. <sighs> and he yes. Yes. The back. Yes. He's like, he shot the Baron from the back because he's so right. big and overweight. I was like, that's right. apocalypse now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Even to the point where they, he gets in the mud, that, that kind of tar bath with the... Uh, with the chemicals and whatnot, right, it was right. very much a, whole, uh, a call. It seems like a callback to uh, to Apocalypse Now. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, but you know, I didn't catch that um, uh, that that was Charlotte Rampling as the as the Reverend Mother. Yeah, yeah. Because she, you know, she, she had that she had that 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 that, that, uh, that burka on she or whatever. Yeah, the the entire time, but she's fantastic, and she's another one who everything I've ever seen her in, she's been great. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that was Charlotte Rampling. I didn't even Mm -hmm. I didn't even catch that. Man, she she and um, through it. (laughs) And um, and and Dwight and I had a conversation about this, and one of the quotes that I read about you know uh, when men make machines that think like 
like a man's mind or whatever, then they become right. enslaved by it. And Dwight had told me prior to this that, you know, the because, you know, we had a conversation and, right. and, and maybe we can get into some some criticism if you have any about there not being any AI in this particular future. And this is 10,000 years into the future, 8,000 right. years in the future. Right. And there's no AI because it was outlawed. Apparently mm -hmm. the AI turned on the human beings or, mm -hmm. you know, there was a, a, a death loss. And, yeah. and they said, hey, look, right. no more AI. So that's why uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson's character, I guess he's a mentat. Right. So he's kind of like a human he was, I guess, maybe bred to be like a human computer. Exactly, exactly. Mentats are computers, and 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 they they basically function as the the overall logistics and and function that computers would have if they were allowed to exist. There was a thing back in the in the history of of, of, of Dune called the Butlerian Jihad, and that Jihad was where the robots rose up and the humans had to put them down because they went too far, almost like taking James Cameron's idea in Concept of the Terminator, which tells you how far the mm -hmm. people have been influenced by it. Mm. Taking his, his idea of the Terminator and saying, okay, what's the other side of this? How far do humans go before they realize, okay, now we have to go back and, and, and gain some kind of supremacy and or at least some kind of functional survival in the society? So, yeah, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like to portray Mentats here better than, than, than Lynch's uh, for obvious reasons. Um, a little less creepy. Um, and I think Dune has, a, I mean, I think uh, um, even though Mentats, the concept is creepy and even. The Ben and Jesuits, which are even creepier, um, which is what Paul's mother mm -hmm. is, um, th those those women are are a coven of witches, um, for lack of a better term, that have been manipulating men and and and, and manipulating the empire behind the scenes for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So so when you see Paul, you see Paul finally coming to into 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 existence against what the Reverend, what the Reverend mother and the, and the Ben and Jesuits wanted to to see. It was it was almost a slap in the face of the Ben and Jesuit brother brother sisterhood because they were like okay now no no women you can you can give them a child but no, but no women and but no but no no men because a, a male a male Quizart Sadarak would 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 offset the power that they were trying to create they wanted a female mm -hmm. to do to to maintain the power and it, it's weird man because you see that in the, even behind if you think about it man and this is what was so this is a, it's a common thread of humanity that that that, that Herbert just got. Herbert just got the idea that, okay, women actually control things behind the scenes, you know. And Cleopatra was not a, was not a fluke. It was a, it's a real thing, you know. If it, you know, that, that, the spice must flow is it's great, but it doesn't flow if those legs don't open, you know. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And, and, and you know, and, 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 you know, I, I sounds crude, but it's, it's, but it's true. I mean, think about it, man. That's it's, it's the thing. But one of the things that shows up in the film, one of the things that doesn't show up in this particular episode or this particular chapter of the film, which may show up later on as a spoiler, is that the Baron Harkonnen and Lady Jessica are actually related. So, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting side point. So that's all I'm going to say as far as that goes. But so, again, more more Star Wars, more this person is related to that <laughs> right, person. Yeah. Right, right. You know, how's this... How is this beautiful Lady Jessica related to this, you know, bloated, yeah. you know, slimy, well, you know, disgusting, murderous Baron? Okay, right. all right, well, I get it. Well, so, well you know. I mean, and, and push that even further, push that, push that point even further, Swizz. Actually, um, you know, he's not, he hasn't always been that way. He's not, he's not a fat man for a reason. He's not, he wasn't, he's not, it's not, it's not, it's not from, it's not from gluttony. There's some other things that Ben and Jesuits have done to him in the past that made him, be, made him become that. So he has a deep, gotcha. he, has a deep he has a deep hatred for the Ben and Jesuit uh, uh, sisterhood. As I think probably yeah. most people do, but they respect them because they know they're they're a force which give, which is help to further society and go things makes push things further. 
I mean, just imagine, man, if a woman can control her womb to the point to where she can determine what the sex is going to be of the child, imagine mm-hmm. how powerful that person is, man. So, oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right, yo. You know? You're absolutely right. What did you guys think? To, uh, I really liked uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster as, as uh, Dr. Kynes. Killed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Yeah, Killed yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, she, she crushed it. She crushed it. I really Fantastic. dug her. Uh, and I liked her you know, playing like I'm neutral. I'm, you know, I'm Switzerland all the way up until a point. And then it was like, okay, she kind of had to choose sides. And Paul even called her out on it later on. Yeah. He's like, and yet here you are risking your life to help us. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Mm-hmm. And also too, um, cause Dwight and I did, again, we had conversations prior to this in this particular, uh, uh incarnation of Dune, uh, Zendaya's character's name is pronounced Chani. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But you said a Cheney, or people were unsure as to exactly what the pronunciation was supposed to be. Yeah, the the, the British, the British, at least the British um, um, uh, audio representation I heard of it, they call it Cheney. And I, I wish Herbert had been more um, um, direct in terms of what what the correct pronunciation was for it. But you I mean everybody goes both directions with it. I think Lynch, I think Lynch rightfully so, and as well as Villeneuve rightfully so, decided to go with the 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 the, the ah versus the. Versus the A, you know, Cheney versus Chani, or Chani versus Cheney, you know. It's, it just makes more, to me, it just sounds better and more consistent with how people would pronounce it in today's modern modern world society. And, and, and it feminizes yeah. it to a degree as well, you know, to emphasize, yeah, yeah the character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, good. Did you guys have any, any, any criticisms of the movie? I had a couple, um... And again, Dwight and I talked about the concept designs mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, he saw it before I did. And then when I was watching it, I was looking at some of it and I thought the, that, that the concept designs were fine. Too big. But they almost felt kind of like 60s at, at, at times, you know, you know, big, large orbs and circles and, you know, tubes and um, and even like the uh, the ornithopters that uh, that Adrian was referencing earlier, you know, these kind of dragonfly helicopters, mm-hmm. which really seem... I mean, how much energy do you have to expend to make these things flap like that, like a thousand times a second or whatever, to get mm-hmm. this huge thing off the ground versus, you know, a propeller that spins and then, you know, the draft pulls it up and so on and so forth. It, it just seems a little, you know, almost like these, you know, these bumblebees or, uh, you know, right. hummingbird or hummingbird uh, kind of helicopters seemed felt a little clumsy. But um, but I thought it was fine, but I didn't think it was great, per se. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say two things about that. One is, um, for for on a design sense, from design sensibility, practical design sensibility, it's hard. If you look at the difference between like um, the Atreides uh, ships versus the Harkonnens versus the overall uh, space liner, which is the, the transferring vehicle, which obviously warps between space, um, it's harder to make um, a design which is circular than it is to make. Uh, and a, on, a big, on a bigger scale, it is to make a design which has got edges and corners. So that was a bizarre choice in terms of uh, the, the roundness of some of those ships and things like that. Because it's hard to fit, it's hard, it's hard to manipulate space. It's, it's hard to manipulate space in terms of circular um, uh, development than it is to, to, to get an edge. You know, edges are easier to get technically. Because when you, when you draw plans, there's always an edge. When you do circles, it's hard to cut into that. You get to cut into that circle to make to make um, things designs work. So that was kind of a weird thing to do, but as far as purely technical perspective, but I did like the idea of of 
of them trying to go away from what had gone before as far as what concepts of what certain what ships should be. Um, that being said, one of my major um, um, uh, kind of not dislikes but major uh, departures from the design was I didn't feel as though in some cases they put enough into it as far as like what the ships should be. Uh, they were they were overly simplified in a way which which is the way in which Lynch kind of went to um, because if you look if you, look, if you read the books you see he's not very very into technical design of things and how it's it's more about the interaction between the the, the people that are in, involved in it. Um, but that being said, I, I did I did believe in what they were doing. I found it to be a um, um, very ominous in ways that that those other ships aren't. And dragonflies, as the ornithopter, ornithopters uh, uh, ornithopters actually were made from or, or designed to be like, they're very very they're, they're probably the most sophisticated flyers in 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 in, in, um, in not just insect morphology, but in terms of like like creature morphology. Their, their 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 wings make them like the ultimate flyers, dude. They have muscles right. in their wings, separate muscles in their wings, allow them to be move move very fast, and and, and it's incredible. <laughs> so, I, I was I was like, wow, that's this is awesome to see the 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 designers finally bring that to fruition in that manner. Well, one of my one of my criticisms, and this is real small, mm. and I, and I and I hate to bring it up like this, but it was still ever no, present cool. to me. Um, one of the criticisms that I had was, it, even even at this day and age, we still can't get away from that whole thing of, if you go to another place that is not a Western place, then everything there must be exotic. Therefore, you have to have all the people there be of color. Okay, I get that. But it's like, so everything from the, from the West, like they're tradies. Most of them are, you know, white, white, white people, so to speak, Caucasians or whatnot. <laughs> but, 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 but you see that anytime in these type of movies, like hence Lawrence of Arabia, even, right. you know, stuff right. like that, where it's like, okay, we go over here and all the natives are of color, are of color, which really makes that allegory even more present that I mentioned earlier about, you know, mm -hmm. the U.S. Iraq mm -hmm. thing. When mm -hmm. they finally get to Arrakis and they start interacting with the uh, native people there, the freemen, the freemen mm -hmm. that are there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dang, it just comes even more strong. It just really mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is what this is. If this, if we had to make an allegory about it now, that's what that is. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And yeah, so I kind of looked at it through that lens. So maybe it's not a criticism total, totally after all. But it's more like another lens that I looked at. I started looking at the movie through once I saw yeah. that aspect. Maybe, yeah. yeah. How could you not? How could you not with with today's current climate and what we've been through for the past twenty years? Yeah. You know, with with the whole introduction to the Iraq War. So yeah, you're right. Um, two other things I thought too. One similar to what Adrian just mentioned, and then and then one not, but. Um, the uh, the character of uh, of Doctor Yu, played by uh, Chang Shen, who's actually, from what I understand, he's a, he's a really big actor in China. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were they were fortunate to get him for this part, but he kind of plays into a bit of an Asian stereotype. You know, he's Dr. the Yu, one pronounced sure. Asian character in the uh, in the kind of uh, you know the main cast, mm -hmm. and he's a sneaky traitor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. 
And that's kind of the thing of the Asian sneaky, <laughs> you know, scheming, fiendish behind the scenes. So that was a little, and, and there's another, I think I believe there's another Asian actor who plays like the second in command to Gurney. Okay. Uh, but we didn't see much of that character in this film and maybe we will in the next. Mm. But I thought that was a little disappointing considering this, the, the movie was attempting to make, you know, I mean, they do, and it's a very diverse cast, you know, Oscar Isaac is, is a, is a Latino, uh, a man and, you know, Zendaya is, is, is you know, is, is a black woman and, you know, and Dr. Dr. Kynes and, you know, and there were some, you know, some characters that were males that were, that were made female, uh, probably to make the story more interesting. At least it felt more interesting to me. And again, I'm not super familiar with the original, mm -hmm. the, with the original text. So it's not mm -hmm. sacred to me. But mm -hmm. the other thing for me is in this, you know, this is a movie to me where all of the money they spent on it, all the money they spent on production design, concept design, costume design, casting it well, making it really feel like a, a, a complete world yeah. felt justified. But again, I find myself with big Hollywood movies and their $100 million budgets over and over and over again, the Marvel movies, $100 million budgets over and over and over again. It almost makes the movie experience feel like every movie has to be a big vacation on a gigantic cruise liner. Mm. And there are no vacations where you just go to a small part of the world and you just hang out with the local people and you find out something you didn't know, or you, you know, the main path for a trap for, uh, for, um, you know, for visitors and for vacationers is to go here, but you go there and you have a different experience that's specific to where you're going. There are no smaller stories. Everything has to be big, giant, well, yeah. you know, cataclysmic, you know, you uh, storylines. And it, it just, it's tiring because there's just no, there's just seems to be very little diversity from, you know, from the big Hollywood movies in that sense. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, everything has to feel like that. Or it's not worth pursuing, and 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 this is again, I don't. This is not a, a criticism of 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 uh, Villeneuve's Dune because I think this one actually pays off. Like you know, I cared more about damn. They just bred Paul to be this damn space baby who can read minds across the the cosmos. Right. That's right. And he's right. yeah, I'm fucked up about it, and he's fucked up about it. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, and you know, like you know, like like they. Like 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 D was pointing out, you know, it's like okay, you know, the Bene Gesserits, you know, they're kind of like witches and like, you know, like fiendish behind the scenes, and you know, and you 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 know that Lady Jessica loves Paul and she loves Leto, but she's still, you know, she's she's behind closed doors, you know, she sends Paul in there to the Reverend Mother and she's all conflicted and churning in her stomach, and I will not fear. Fear is the brings the little death and obliteration. You know, put my head in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but that voice, that voice is like that voice compels you, man. You can't go anywhere, man. Voice is like he's like okay, his mom, his mom can put it on him, but 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 mother brother Mohaya, she's like okay, she's like you're coming here. I mean, I think you are, but when I tell you, you move, you move. Yeah, man. But, but yeah, um, to, to, to your points, which you're right, man. All, all those things, all those, all those things are are are, are like um, somewhat um, replicated, um, you know, tropes that, that that you see. But it does pay off in a big way because you're looking at like, okay, 
you know, Charlemagne's performance is so convincing. It's like okay, he doesn't—he mm. doesn't know what's going, what's in store for him. He doesn't really want to be doing this. All he wants to do is be with his mother and father, you know. And he's seeing—he's having these dreams about about this this this, this girl on another, another 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 faraway distance. He's like, what what's that about? You know what I'm saying? And 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 the character himself is supposedly 15 years old, so he's having these dreams about you know uh, uh, women, which argue, arguably at this point in time he could be having anyway. Right, but you know, right. but, but a different, a different but, kind of dream, exactly, though. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Change my royal sheets. Change right. them. Dang. I have soiled myself. Right. I'm fifteen. Right. 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 Oh, right. Mama's like, yeah, I know about those kinds of dreams. <laughs> Let me tell you about it, boy. <laughs> but um, no, man. So what? I mean, um, one of the things I found interesting too is like the way it ends. Um, it's it ends a lot like um, like the first uh, Lord of the Rings movie does, uh, the the Fellowship of the Ring, where they're, they're marching off into the sunset. But even as they do so, you start to see a really good acting, man, and direction of Villeneuve of how you can still see how. how how um, like Paul is starting to fall for China even then, right? Mm. You can see it in his eyes. But but Mom looks at us like, okay, that's good. So I'm glad you like her and whatnot. But he looks, she looks like, okay, but you're not. This is not what's, what's going to happen. You realize that, right? You don't realize that. But I'm, I'm still behind the scenes. I'm still Mom that's been a Jesuit. And I'm going to direct you to where it's supposed to go. Now, I, I gave you the chance to get off planet, you know, because you saw the future was happening. I gave you a chance to get off, off planet. But you want to stay here and, and follow the directives and the guidance of what your father has saw before you. So you know what? I'm going to direct you the rest of the way. She thinks, anyway. So it's it's good. Yeah. It's, just, it's it's really good storytelling, man. And like you said, it has a, it has a Game of Thrones appeal to it. But I want to go back to a point you made earlier um, about the epicness of the uh, and the and the, the non restfulness of the eye when it comes to these kinds of movies and how you're always on the edge. It's always one one scene to the next. It's, it's harrowing to the next. I found the somewhat lack of that in the, in the situation to become somewhat disconcerting and, and threw me off some. Uh, but it was good. It was well paced. But I felt as though you know, usually there's one loop to the next, one loop to the next. There's you know, problem resolution, problem resolution, problem resolution. He had a lot, a lot more, a lot more internal, um, um, thoughtful uh, um, will spinning of, of, of people's cognitive processes. Now I like that to some degree. You know what? I, I'll say. Go ahead, Adrian. No, and I, I might be going the same place you're going. I think it's a difference in, in the writing as well. Like, you know, take mm-hmm. something immediate like a Star Wars. That's meant to be a vehicle. That's meant to be problem resolution, problem resolution. Hey, 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 let's, let's um, have a distraction here and get back to problem resolution, problem resolution. That's a part of the writing. And those movies can tire you out. You can even see it in like mm-hmm. Avengers Endgame. You know, a lot of those yeah. things. Here's the MacGuffin. We got to get this. Oh, uh, right. here's a little side quest before we get back to the main thing. And you don't see a lot of that here, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I think people have been thirsting for this type of material brought in this type of way, for sure, man. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Swain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I was going to say similarly that, you know, again, the last couple of Star Wars movies, you know, I've enjoyed them, but mm-hmm. have they been... Have they drawn me in to the characters in the same way that this did? And this is something, again, that I have a, a fairly casual knowledge of mm-hmm. in terms of the characters and what the story's about and so forth. Mm-hmm. I don't have any emotional connection to it. And yet, I was following the story for Paul's plight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was following the story for Jessica's plight. Mm-hmm. 
I, I knew that uh, Duke Leto was going to die. You, mm. That was forecasted uh, way ahead of time. Sure. Uh, you it, you knew that uh, that Duncan was going to die. That was forecasted. I didn't expect Doctor Kynes to die. Well, mm. maybe he's not dead. I didn't expect Doctor <laughs> Kynes to to, to to you know to get stuck or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, you know, everyone along uh, along the way of watching this movie, I wasn't just amazed by the ships and space and space intrigue and all that kind of stuff. I was really you know, caring about what was going to happen with the characters. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the fact that it kind of ends on this kind of cliffhanger because I, I, I never liked that with films. Right. I think films should have a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. Um, you know, period. You know, there's a way to do it and still set it up for something else. But, um, but I do think that, um, that they did, a, uh, they did a great job of, of, of pulling it all together. Mm -hmm. And, Again, you know, Star Wars and some of the other stuff has kind of left me a little, like you said, exhausted and maybe even a little, like, cold. Mm -hmm. But yet here, this new, basically for me, for my purposes, this new thing, you know, drew me in. Mm -hmm. kept, me, kept me arrested, you mm -hmm. know, for the two hours and 39 minutes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then when it was over, I was like, oh, yeah, that was, that was a fucking emotional and a thrill ride. It wasn't mm -hmm. just a thrill ride, you know, like The Force Awakens. It was mm -hmm. an, an emotional you know, an emotional ride too. So I think again, it comes down to the filmmakers, what their mission is and how much talent they and their collaborators have in terms of being able to pull something off that really makes something work or not work. It's not just what it is. It's how well you execute it. And I think Villeneuve, he did a, he did a, he did an, a spectacular job. You know? yeah. concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.